Good morning. Our scripture readings today um, are Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. That's on page 684, uh, if you want to read it in the Pew Bible. Uh, also, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and that's on page 807. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? 
For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Word of the Lord. Good morning. How many decisions have you made today so far? How many choices have you had to make? I mean, really, what time to get up, whether to take a shower, what to wear, what to eat, which direction to drive to get here, which vehicle to take, maybe? A lot of decisions. It reminds me of that commercial that there's some, I can't tell you what the thing is for, but there's a guy and he's watching the sushi go by. You ever see that commercial? Yeah? I, I don't know what the commercial's for. I don't think it's for food, but it has something to do with making choices and making decisions. And I was thinking about starting, I started actually Sunday working on a children's message because I'm like, okay, God, you've got to show up a little sooner, so maybe if I start a little sooner, you'll show up a little sooner. Well, I must have had 12 different ideas on Monday. Last night, I still had seven. This morning, I still had three. They're all in here. However, the one that kind of rose to the top is the one about choices. Unfortunately, the thing that I really need for this one is at school. And clearly, I couldn't get into school this morning at 9 o'clock and get here in time because I couldn't, first of all, get into school. And second of all, I wouldn't have gotten back in time. So I had to bring something on my computer, so we're going to try. Hopefully it'll work. It's something I did with my students. We read a story by Stephen King called Survivor Type. I don't know if any of you read it. It's a short story. It's kind of weird and gruesome, and I won't go into the details. Uh, <laughs> you, you've read it? Oh. Uh, hmm? Have any of you read Survivor Type? Yeah? Yeah, it's pretty gross, isn't it? Um, well, anyway, during this uh, unit that we were doing, we did a choose-your-own-adventure. And I have several books at school that have choose-your-own-adventures in them. So, yep, this is right. Yep, I just need to go to the next screen. Okay? This way? Okay. Um, so basically, they were given this option because in Survivor Type, the man is stranded on an island. So we did an island theme kind of quest here. So I don't know if I can do this this way. It says, you have just crash landed. We're not going to do the whole thing. Crash landed on a desert, deserted island. You can only survive. You are the only survivor of the crash. And your phone was flung off the boat during the crash and has sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Do you search the ship for supplies or venture onto the island? 
Island? All right, go on to the island. We're going to go. All right, how many say go on to the island? One, two, three, four. How many say search the ship? Oh, maybe we better search the ship then. All right, so we decided to search the ship, and we found 50 feet of rope, a tarp, a dull knife, three things of steel wool, two D-cell batteries, a metal bucket, and four cans of tinned fruit. Okay, so now, do we set up camp, or do we venture on into the island? Venture onto the island? All right. So basically, each step of the way, you make a choice. Some of the choices are good. Some of the choices seem really good. The other thing I forgot to point out is down here, it tells you what the time and the temperature are. Okay, so if you're not paying attention to the time and the temperature, what seems like a really good idea might end up you're not being a survivor. And that's kind of like what happens with us and our decisions. The Israelites, Moses led them out of Egypt to the promised land. It should have taken 12, 11 days. It took them 40 years. 11 days. It's an 11-day journey from here to here. But it took them 40 years. Why? Because they weren't choosing the right directions. They weren't following what God wanted. And so there were consequences. When we make decisions, we have consequences. Do I want to eat this piece of cake or this piece of celery? You know, I should eat the celery. It's better for me. I'll live longer maybe if I eat the celery, and I'll stay thinner if I eat the celery, but, but the cake all, tastes awfully good. And then one piece of cake leads to another piece of cake, and, well, I had, I had cake yesterday, so I can have it again because the scale didn't go up, right? Mm -hmm. And then a couple months later, it's like, oh, <laughs> maybe I should have chosen the celery. But um, we make decisions all the time. We talk about simple things, and we talk about important things. And we have decisions that we need to choose. And we need to choose to follow God. We need to choose to follow what he's telling us to do, to say, where to go, who to talk to. Case in point, thank you, uh, Deb, for what you shared. Right there. Putting us in the right place, in the right time, you know, you hit the snooze bar a couple of times. That's not necessarily a bad thing, because sometimes when you do that, and you're driving to work, you see that there was an accident ahead of you, and that could have been you. But you were a little bit later leaving, and so it wasn't you. Or maybe you get up a little earlier, and you get to school or work or wherever, and someone's there that really needs to talk to you, and you're there to listen. And that's a good thing. So sometimes the decisions we make that may seem wrong are actually what God wants us to do, but they're not what we want to do, and vice versa. A lot of times what we want to do isn't what God wants us to do. So we need to be listening to the Spirit and following God's Word, because that's the only way we're going to know the path that we need to go. So as Moses said, I'm putting before you two options. Life and blessing, death and destruction. Choose life.
follow God. Follow where he's leading because it's the only way we're going to survive. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us the way. You've shown us the way through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we thank you for him. We thank you for your word that we find in the Bible. And we thank you that you are with us each step of the way. When we go down those paths that are the wrong way, you turn us around if we'll trust you. So help us to hear you, to follow where you lead, and trust that you will return us to the right path when we've taken a detour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we come with open ears, open minds, open hearts to hear from you. I pray that you will communicate through me clearly and that we will hear what you intend for us to. In Jesus' name, amen. What if following God was fun? Okay. You say it is. You say it is sometimes. <laughs> I've had a bunch of conversations not with just one person, so if you think I'm talking about you, I am, but I'm also talking about some other people, um, recently, who have talked about how it would be really great if you actually wanted to do what God wants you to do. Um, I remember feeling like that, I sometimes still do, but I remember feeling like that, especially in my 20s, and having a really, kind of a, an extended time of talking to God and saying, Lord, I want to want what you want, <laughs> but I'm not sure I'm there yet. So please, my prayer is not to help me do what you want, but to help me want to do what you want so that I'll actually do it. Um, you may have heard of a guy named Augustine. He's sometimes known as St. Augustine. He was one of the very, very early church leaders um, in the, his, after the Bible time, but in the history of the church. Um, and he said... Love God and do what you want. What do you think that means? Yes. If you really love God, Augustine's idea was that if you really love God in such a way that it's making you get to know him and change to be like him, then what you want is going to be what God wants. And so if you love God, you can do whatever you want because you're not going to want the wrong thing. When I first got here, when Paul and I first got here in 2019, um, we had our first ever leadership retreat at the sanctuary at Woodville, and after that retreat, um, some of you, having come out of a period of time without a pastor or with an interim pastor and some, some struggles and stuff, said at the end of the retreat, we haven't laughed like this together in a long time. That retreat was fun, and I think it was healing. And we've seen some other fun God things recently, too, just like January 1st, our Celebration Sunday Holy Talent Show was super long. But it was fun! <laughs> we were sharing together what God had given us to do and to be, and it was fun! But since the first leadership retreat, a lot of unfunny stuff has happened, too. Like, for example, COVID 
and racial violence and the Taliban taking over Afghanistan and the death of Kathleen Bond and the war in Ukraine and family strife and other deaths more recently in many of our church families. And meanwhile, we're all still trying to be the church, and not just any church, but a church that puts God first, listens to him, and is faithful to his ways. And as we've been doing that, God has been faithful to us. We have seen God do very amazing, faithful things among us. But this is serious business. There's so much stuff going on, and and we're trying to listen to God, and we're trying to be faithful to God, and we don't want to mess it up, right? And this week's Bible passages for our Bible reading is from the book of Hosea, Psalm 119 speaks so much of enjoying God's laws and ways. It's 
the thought that popped up last week, too, with the Isaiah passage. John also pointed out the verse in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, which says that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is merciful. So when we say something is life-giving, what do we mean? It makes you feel alive, which is good or bad? Good, right. If I say, I did this thing and it was so life-giving, I don't mean that I hate it. (laughs) Well, that could be one of the things, but there are other things that people do that they just, it makes them feel like, ah, this is tapping into something of who I am in a really good way, and I just, I feel so energized by this, or I feel so excited about this. I, I love this. So, if the Lord is our life, then it seems like there should be some joy in there, some empowering, some something awesome and and good feeling, not just oh, another little day. So, do you think that these things could be related? Loving God and enjoying God's laws and ways and enjoying God himself. Doesn't it seem like there should, if you, if God is our life and God is, and we Love God, don't, doesn't it seem like we should at some point enjoy God's laws and ways? Okay, so last week we talked about thinking like Jesus is thinking, and we talked about the teachers of the law in Jesus' day and how they, and people today too, um, in churches and probably other religious gatherings, got so serious, and they tried to keep themselves and everybody else blameless by making little nitpicky rules about everything. So, they would take the laws that were in the Bible, some of which are fairly specific already, and then they would say, and then if this situation happens, this very specific way is how you handle it. And then if this other thing happens, then you handle it exactly like this. And it just made things more and more constrained and constricted, and there's just no wiggle room here at all. But this week... We're reading what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me ask you a question. Be honest. Is Jesus making things even harder? (laughs) Yes? Everybody says yes? Is someone saying no? Okay, why no? Yes and no? Okay, I like that. Ron also likes that. Um, so Sandy said, actually, I'm not, I'm not going to reword this very well. We really need to get that mic. <laughs> um, Sandy said, initially it will seem harder, but eventually it will become a light for our path. I think that is correct. Um, basically, here's what I think is happening. We can be people who live with a whole bunch of rules so we always know exactly what to do all the time. Or, but we still keep 
our, what's going on in our hearts, and we still keep our old ways of thinking, and we still keep just our same frame of reference and our same perspective, or we can start to think like kingdom people, like people who are growing in the mind of Christ. So Jesus, when he takes the, he takes the law and says, you have heard that it was said this, but I tell you, it's even bigger than this. He's actually not making the laws more nitpicky. He's making them more all-encompassing because the laws were for our lives, not just pieces of our lives, but for our whole lives. So even though they cover everything, and it means that we have to take a look at everything that we do, they're actually ultimately less confining as we start to form the mind of Christ and as we start to practice the ways of Christ. And ultimately, when they become part of who we are and how we express ourselves, they lead to a more enjoyable and more reconciled, more gospel life. Jesus is training us to think like he's thinking. He is getting at our heart. The Pharisees' laws said just they didn't change hearts or minds. They just changed behavior. But Jesus is trying to get at what's in here because in other passages, he told his people, if you, it does, it's not what you take in that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of you. Well, our words come out of us, but also our actions and sometimes even our thoughts. Our thoughts are what makes other stuff come out. So he's trying to change the way we think, the way we perceive, the way we feel about things. Sometimes when we read this passage in Matthew 5, we focus on that he should cut his arm off, out or he should cut his arm off or eye out or arm off or whatever, just mutilate his, the body. Jesus isn't being literal here. He's just showing how really important and life-affecting these things are. And sometimes... And why would we not focus on that? Because it's gross and it's startling, and Jesus intended it to be startling. But when we only focus on that, sometimes we miss the underlying joy, the underlying love, the underlying contentment, and even enjoyment that is in the alternative. So Jesus is picking on stuff that we shouldn't do, and we miss that the alternative to doing those things is actually more loving, more joyful, more um, relationship-building than what he's criticizing. So we need to, Jesus wants us to want really what he wants. And if we had his mind, we would actually want to obey, and it wouldn't feel like obedience. It would be, at minimum, second nature. If we have the mind of Christ, we have the perspective of Christ, we have the will of Christ, and it will feel like just this is how I, this is how I act, at minimum. And often it will also feel like joy. So let's, we're, we could do a whole sermon on all of these sections. We're not going to do that. Um, but let's look at the, some of the things that Jesus says for a second. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you 
that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Yikes. But also, then he tells us something to do instead. What does he, what does he tell us to do after that? Does anyone remember? Reconcile. That's the short version. What were you going to say? Yeah, go make it right. Yes. Which feels better of three options? Holding a grudge, carrying guilt, or restoring a relationship? Yes, that can be harder. It doesn't always feel better while you're working on the restoring. But when it is restored, it is way better than having the, the grudge or carrying a, some responsibility for something that you did against somebody else and never fessing up to it, never uh, repenting of it. How about this next one? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That also sounds pretty extreme, but Jesus is trying to get at what's in our hearts, right? And he says a similar thing about divorce. So, and divorce is complicated, and that's why we could have a whole sermon about that, and we actually have. Um, but for right now, what is the fallout when one spouse cheats on another person, on the other spouse? Betrayal? Mistrust? You're no longer one flesh? Sometimes people get back at each other, yep. And um, who's affected? Everybody! Yeah, it's never just the two people. If, even if there aren't kids, Friends are affected. Communities that you share together are affected. So, and how long are people affected? Yeah, in different ways, forever. And it's not that you can't, there isn't healing for that, or there can't be forgiveness, but these things have huge repercussions that are not, by the way, fun, even if the initial affair or whatever was great. When we do these things, we are acting like mere humans. This is normal human behavior in a broken world. Sometimes, because it's normal human behavior in a broken world and we're all broken, it's easier to get mad or hold a grudge or give in to lust or buy ourselves some time by swearing to God that such and such is true, even though it's not, and we're going to do something to make it true or seem true. But all of those things are only easier in the short term. They are never easier over the long haul, and it's exhausting to build a life on that stuff. These things are not life-giving even if they feel great at the time. They end up destroying us, in fact, and our families, sometimes just our biological family, but it can also destroy a church, it can also destroy a community. All of these things are self-centered, and they end up pulling us away from the laws and ways of God. And by doing that, they actually diminish our joy. 
So the choice that God, through Moses, offers the Israelites in Deuteronomy, and basically the choice that all human beings are offered all the time because God gives us a zillion choices or chances, are life and prosperity or death and destruction. Jesus summed up the law and the prophets in two commands, which you know. What are the two commands? Yes. Love the Lord your God with every part of you and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the same things as what we talked about in Micah 6 a few weeks ago, justice and mercy. All of the commands which we just talked about that Jesus mentions and reframes are commands which, when we obey them, will show that we love God because by obeying them, we will be loving others, or specifically, each other. We grow in our love for God as we practice loving each other, and we grow in our love for each other as we practice loving God. So when I got out of college, before I went to London, I worked as a nanny for a couple years. And the little boy that I nannied for, he was three months old when I started, and he was adopted, and he had horrible, horrible reflux, which meant that I was like washing his outfits and my outfits multiple times a day, and it was gross. And so food for this poor child, and me at the time, <laughs> was traumatic. Just basic eating, was traumatic from the very beginning. And so then, when he got a little older and that started to calm down, it was actually tricky to introduce new foods to him because eating had just always been traumatic. And so I remember giving him, you know, the mashed up Gerber stuff and different, some of the stuff he was kind of okay with, the fruit and stuff, but the night we introduced meat, oh my word, he couldn't handle it. He had this giant flailing, temper tantrum. It was crazy. But eventually, he grew out of that, and he grew to love foods that were appropriate to his age. And then he would get enthusiastic and spread spaghetti sauce all over himself. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, normal stuff. Um, so anyway, the Apostle Paul in the Corinthians passage tells the Corinthian Christians they're still spiritual babies. And in this passage, passage, he uses a food analogy, basically saying, you guys aren't even ready for mashed bananas, but you should be. In other words, he's saying to them, because apparently gossip and factions was a problem, he says, I shouldn't have to tell you to stop gossiping and creating factions. You should have grown up enough by now that this isn't even how you think. You should have grown up enough into the mind of Christ to not even think that way, but you still do. Elsewhere, in other letters to other churches that he wrote, he talks about the law. Instead of being like food, he talks about it as being like the nanny, actually. And now, and so with the nanny, the law would kind of tell people what to do, monitor how they are and what they're doing. And, and then when the child grows old enough, they can start to do things on their own. And he talks about through Jesus, now we have full, what he calls, sonship. When you're a little kid, you have to be told what to do so you can interact appropriately with the world. You don't come out of the womb just knowing all the things. You can't even talk. So <laughs> why would you know how to do any of the other things? 
And some of the things that you're taught are easy to learn and some of them are harder to learn and so they require some discipline or restraints and those things are not fun for the kid or even for the parent most of the time or the guardian. But when those appropriate disciplines are lovingly but consistently applied, it becomes part of who the child is and they don't have to be told those things a zillion times anymore because they know what to do. And life for everybody becomes much more enjoyable. So for example, don't stick your finger in the socket. It doesn't seem like you should have to tell anybody that, but let me tell you, when I was three years old, I gave myself electroshock therapy. <laughs> What's that? I thought that you might think that. Um, literally, it's actually amazing I survived. That's a whole other story I can tell you some other time. So, don't stick your finger in the socket. Share your toys. Use your indoor voice, not your outdoor voice. Teaching them what the difference between those two things are. This is how we behave here, which is different than how we behave here. These are rules for little kids, but we don't need to tell each other that usually because we've learned those things and now they're part of how we are, right? When we have been formed by these rules, or laws as children, they help us navigate life more appropriately as adults. They stop being laws that we're trying to obey and they become ways of living. Second nature. That also causes the relationship between the parent and the guardian to change. So when my parents, when I was little, my parents would have to sometimes discipline me and I know, it's hard to believe, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they did, and I didn't always get along with my mom, particularly, and I did get along with my dad, but um, now I would say I am friends with both of them. They don't have to, they, because they have raised me as well as they could, I trust them, and I trust their good advice, and I go to them for advice all the time, and they pray for me, and I know this, and they are still my parents. They will always be my parents. But now I have a friendship relationship with them, and I love hanging out with my mom and doing fun things with her, and I still get along great with my dad, but that relationship has changed too, um, partly because now I'm doing what he used to do, and it's weird, but <laughs> good, but weird. Um, so... This happens in our relationship with God, too. When we first come to Christ, we might feel like, I have to obey all these rules. And to some extent, that's true. You're not saved by obeying the rules, but you do need to learn how the kingdom of God works. What are the values here? How do we behave here? What, how do we treat each other? And how do we ma manage our relationships? But then, as we grow in that, we start to know God better, and we start to love God differently, and we start to hear from God and be closer to God, and things become more natural and more enjoyable. This is what is supposed to happen to God's people as individuals and also together as the church. Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, I don't, I'm not calling you servants anymore, now I'm calling you friends. Their relationship had grown and changed and matured. So we, when we come to Christ, we are born again through God's grace. We are now new people, and no matter what age we are when that happens, we're basically babies <laughs> again. 
And then we are taught to obey the law of God. And we're taught by teaching like this, or like downstairs with the deacons, or by, and by example. And actually, example is usually the better way of teaching, the way that sticks a little bit better. And so that's another reason why it matters that we discipline ourselves in the ways of Christ, because other people are watching, and we are helping form other people. We become formed by this obedience that we're learning, so it becomes second nature. We start to think like Jesus is thinking. We love like Jesus is loving. We become reconciled reconcilers. And we come to enjoy God and his ways and each other and ourselves. So our church is growing, and there were some things that the original group that was here in 2019 learned together, and now we have new people who bring in their own experiences from church or other places, and all of us are still forming. And we're all in different spots on this path with Christ. But Christ is right there with all of us. No matter where we are on the path, he's also our destination. This is cool. Jesus is cool like that. So he's with us, and we're also journeying toward him. And we need to remember that we're all in a different spot in the path from each other. And it's not like even necessarily that some of us are farther along than others. We're just not all in the same place. Our goal is to help each other wherever we are to move with and closer to Jesus. All the time. That is our goal, to help each other towards that. What this does not mean is doubling down on rules, and it doesn't really mean keeping an eye out on each other. I'm watching you. I'm seeing where you mess up. Ooh, your mind doesn't seem quite like Christ's on this one. That's not what it means. I think what it does mean is noticing where there are glimmers of maturity and Christ-likeness, not where there aren't, but where there are glimmers of maturity and Christ-likeness here, and encouraging that, and nurturing that, and bringing that up, and on our own time, discerning, the seeking God for truth about himself and about ourselves first. Before we try to seek the truth about each other, seek the truth about ourselves before God. So that we can say, okay, this is where I see God is actually working in me, and this is where I fall short. And God and I are going to work on this together, and now I'm experiencing the grace of God, and so I can much more freely offer it to everybody around me. And in that way, we can e encourage each other to enjoy God. Encourage each other to enjoy God. Because God is actually delightful once we get to know him. And so are his ways. And where we don't feel that yet, let's pray for the grace to want to. Let's allow the Messiah to search our hearts, show us what he finds, so that we can grow in our awareness of his justice and mercy and all-encompassing love towards us, 
which will help us express the same thing to each other. And then we can love God and do what we want. Mm. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and help us to love you where we feel ourselves holding back. Help us to experience you as delightful, because you delight in us, messed up as we are. Uh, you find us delightful, and please help us to remember that truth, that your justice and mercy are not things that you divvy out sparingly and grudgingly, but you love to pour out your lavish gifts on us. You are our life. Help us to live like it. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>